Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Man, I really miss I really miss Steve. Uh, (laughs) No banter, banter. It's it's a big hole. You know, maybe we should look into um, AI technology and actually do like sample Steve's voice, and so that when he's not here, we can still have a banter, banter. Well, how many episodes do we have where you could just take a banter banter out of one of them no, 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 and no, no, paste no, it in? Can't, no, we can't do that. We have, we've ever promised the audience that there would be no canned anything. No canned cowbell and no canned Steve. Oh, that's well, very sampling sampling's gonna be is along the same lines isn't it well no no it's not but actually that it's funny you mentioned that because yeah did you hear um are you a big beatles fan i heard the new song yeah okay so yeah me too so what's your opinion on this i think the technology is cool that ai can separate his voice from the keyboard piano parts but i don't know are we not done with the beatles the song, I thought the song itself was okay. Yeah, I mean, the song... They, they yeah. never released it for a reason. I <laughs> see. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. I think in terms of the actual song, it's like, meh. It's it's what... It would be like, you know, it would be one of the ones, like, it would be like the ninth track on a Beatles album that you would just kind of forget. Yeah. So here's my take on this whole thing. So... I made the mistake of like watching the music video for this oh, thing. See. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. No, it, don't do it. And everybody, <laughs> dude, don't do this. Just engage with the song without watching the music video because I don't know what they're thinking. But they have like, they they have like young George Harrison and like John Lennon and stuff dancing around while you know an eighty-year-old Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr sing into mics. It just it feels odd and a little bit ghoulish. I don't know. I just. Uh, but I, I don't know. I just think, do we really need to to be to be rehashing? Do we, I don't know. Do we, we don't need to be people bringing people back from the dead to sing? Well, it wasn't. You know, they took a, a 1980-something guitar part that George did, and then you know Lennon's vocals from '74, and you know put it all together for this new song. Which I think again, the technology is really cool that we can do that. But I don't know. Just let the no. Beatles be. No, see, this is where this is where I disagree. I don't think the technology is cool to do that. Let's not do that. Let's not stop. You'd stop using AI in music. Like, just stop it. Stop it. Come on, I'd rather listen to AI than Taylor Swift. No, no, you wouldn't. (laughs) I love where this is going. It's gonna be fun. All right. Anyway, the show. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, now from the top and all the way through. <laughs> okay, hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Uh, why don't you tell the fine folks at home uh, what the heck we are doing today? Well, today's show is all about the bass. Well, actually, it's about the woman who plays the bass guitar. Our guest today is Kira Moser, professional bass player and... She has just recently released her debut album called Blind So What. Kira, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here. Kira, we are really excited to have you. Uh, thanks again for joining us. I don't even know where to start. I've got so many questions for you. Um, <laughs> why don't we just start in just giving us a little bit of a, a background about yourself um, and you know your, your eye condition and a little bit of your vision journey. Sure. Um, okay, so, well, as you already heard, my name is Kira Moser. 
I was born in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, my mom is Irish and my dad is Austrian. They actually met um, while they were working on the cruise ships as kitchen chef and waitress slash stewardess manager. Um, so they've been traveling a lot, but I was actually born in Dublin after they um, got off the ships for some time. And then when I was four, I moved to Austria. Um, and then I was pretty much raised in Austria. I did all of my education, like school, um, uh, primary school or elementary school, high school there. And then also went to college in Vienna before I came to the US to go to Berklee College of Music. I was born with LCA, so Leber's Congenital Amaurosis. Um, I don't know if if any of you know the eye condition, but basically it's like a genetic um, condition that affects the production of rhodopsin for the retina. Um, so I was born fully blind and well, I I would say that I have like like light and dark maybe rest vision. So yeah, I see if it's like day or night or if the light is on or off. Um, maybe like, you know, here and there, like a few like contrasts or, or something like that. But I would, I would say it's more like light and dark. Um, and I have two younger brothers and the youngest is blind as well. So now growing up, what was your kind of relationship with music? I mean, did you, did you always sort of have a, a passion for it? Was, were, were your family members musical? How did this kind of relationship with music first start? So my parents are actually both not musicians. My dad is a cook and then like later he became like hotel manager, catering manager and so on. And my mom is also like um, in that kind of area, like she worked as a waitress, but also later as a manager. Now she works in a hotel where she manages like the cleaning staff for like two hotels and a spa resort. Um, so they're not really in music. They've both learned instruments throughout their education, but not really like focusing on it. And um, yeah, so what what's actually brought me to music is that I guess my parents saw like a, a great importance in um, like exposing us to as many things as possible, because as soon as they got the diagnosis that I'm blind, they started like reading a lot, lot a lot of stuff about blindness and um they like noticed okay it's, it's important you know to expose your, your child to as many experiences as possible to make it independent and obviously like music is something that pops into your head like right away because of the connection with hearing but also it's like really really important because of the whole like motor skill part like the whole like part of um the physical uh education or the you know, the physical exposure that playing an instrument gives you. So I started like playing the violin at the age of two and a half, actually already. Um, back then I was actually afraid of it. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Uh, my parents, like, you know how it is, like a blind child is afraid of things that feel kind of like new to them. Right. And so my parents would like, we had a trampoline in the living room that I was always using um actually even before i could walk i was like jumping on the trampoline um so they just put the violin on the trampoline so i had to kind of <laughs> spend time with it um <laughs> but uh it was great and then i i since then i was always exposed to music it was always like a really big part of my life um and i guess it it for them 
like it's not only because I'm blind. I think even if I if I if I was born sighted, um, music would have been a big part of of my education. Just because um, I think it should be part of everybody's education, like as much as as math and German and English is. Um, so yeah, I started learning piano at the age of eight. Um, and I did a bunch of other like side things, like I play recorder and stuff like that. And then I, I, I started learning percussion when I was like 13. And then we actually started a band with my brothers and two friends of the family. And we discovered that we need a bass if we want to start a band. So, uh, I decided to play bass and then I enrolled in this like high school, um, that's actually specialized on pop music. So you play like in the first it's uh, actually four years because it's like the second like uh period of high school so you start playing um with like like you start playing like pop rock covers and then in the second year you already like write your own songs and you also like spend time with a little bit of latin music like salsa and samba and then in the third year like you get a little bit into like jazz and in the fourth year, you actually record your own CD. So that was kind of like that. And that actually, that school um, I got into because I was playing bass, because all the other instruments, they already had um, a lot of people. And for bass, they only had one person, but they needed two bass players because the class is divided in two bands. So um, I was actually lucky to, to have bass as my primary instrument back then. And I think going to that school really was the main reason why I then decided to study. And then I went to Vienna to, to study there and then so, later to Boston. So what was it about the bass guitar that made you stay with it? Well, I, so the main reason why I decided to stay with bass was the role of the instrument in the band. So, uh, I really love it because it's the glue between everything. It's uh, the foundation of the rhythm, but also the foundation of the harmony. So when I'm playing, I have to support the drummer, but at the same time, I have to support the, the harmony, um, the, the piano or guitar. And of course, I have to be aware of the melody, which is like the main part of a song. And uh, for me, like having to know all of those components of, of a song and being like kind of so like all around all like in the music like with every kind of part um for me that's like really really important and i just really love playing together with drummers especially if they're good drummers <laughs> um because i i just love the the feeling of supporting a drummer with like my baseline um because you can make a groove feel so good if you're actually playing it nice and if you're actually supporting the drummer and um actually that feeling like on stage when you play and it's like oof, um like that kind of like supportive and that kind of crew feeling i think was the main decision why i i started to really want to pursue bass as my main instrument yeah it's funny we ryan and i were we had a whole we were having a whole bass discussion before the before we oh, came yeah? the mix. and uh i mean it really is, i i feel like it really is a, a very underappreciated underrated uh part i mean it, it's so like you take any song and you, if you remove that bass line you notice it immediately but yet yeah. 
you know, it's not like rhythm guitar or lead guitar or, you know, horns or anything else. I mean, you're the whole job of the bass is to sort of blend in and to just fill everything out. And uh, yeah, I think it is very underappreciated. Yeah, definitely. And the people like bass is an instrument that the people will not notice if it's there, but they will notice if it's gone. Right. So well, that's definitely that's I know. Hilarious. Like even on on your album, which we'll we'll get to, there there's some songs in there, and I can't remember all of them off the top of my head. Where I was sitting there thinking to myself, that needs to be brought up in the mix a little more. It's too soft. It's too quiet. And I yeah. and I know your your engineers, you know, have way more experience than I do. But I like to hear the bass because I I play some bass myself. And nice. so I like to hear the bass guitar, right? And if it's too quiet, I'm like, there's no bass, bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's definitely an integral part of just about any music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And hey, listen, it's got one less string, right? So that's one less string you have to Not remember. necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so I wanna, I wanna go back a little bit and, and talk a little bit more about um, when you were a kid and when you were, you were taking lessons, because I'm, I'm super curious. So when you did, did your parents like have any sort of, like did you take lessons? Oh yeah, so uh, in violin, I took lessons with like three different teachers, one in Ireland and then one in Austria, but then that was only for one year. And then I started with uh, Susanna Eigner. She, she was my teacher until I was like 18. And I took recorder lessons. Um, I took, uh, yeah, like drum lessons. And then I with the violin teacher, I was, I also played a little bit of viola and I took classical piano lessons. Uh, I think from the age of like seven or eight until I was like 13 and then a little bit of like jazz piano lessons, even though I'm not even daring to say that because I don't really feel like I played jazz piano, but I played piano and learned like some jazzy songs <laughs> and then bass lessons. Uh, well, I had like percussion and drum lessons with the same teacher and then bass lessons. I had like a, I, I first studied with um, a guy called Stefan Masnak. He was actually studying in the US himself um, for some time. But then um, when when I studied with him, he he moved, had moved back to Austria. And um, and that was like, yeah, that was private lessons. And then I, I started in that high school in the pop high school I was talking about where we also had private lessons included who was and and i had lessons with a really good teacher his name was uh, gottfried angerer and he i would say gave me like most of the foundation that i still rely on when i play bass now um like i learned most of the foundation of te technique like slab technique or playing certain styles and grooves on bass and then later um i did study at in vienna with willy lange and tina schwarz who are like the main teachers at that university and I also, um, when I was still in the high school, I studied with a guy called Fanti. He's like, um, plays like a lot of slap bass and like funk stuff. And then later during university, um, because uh, the Willy Langer, who is like the electric bass teacher at the university in Vienna, he's more like a funk person and I wanted to study jazz. And Gina Schwartz is a jazz player, but she plays mainly double bass. So I started to study with another guy called Christian Vent, a lot of teachers in my life, um, <laughs> right. like about a half an hour away from Vienna. And I always like commuted to take lessons with him. 
um, because I wanted to get more into jazz, electric based stuff. And then when I came to Berkeley, um, everything kind of exploded and I studied with like the cr craziest teachers like, yeah, Victor Wooten, John Patitucci. Uh, I mean, private lessons I, I took with like Mike Pope, Linda O. I mean, so many people. Steve Bailey was a great supporter of mine. So I had a lot of teachers. Yes. And so one of our biggest questions or my yes. biggest, one of my biggest questions is why jazz? <laughs> it's interesting because uh, I definitely didn't start with jazz. And if I would have hear, heard jazz, like, like, let's say straight ahead jazz, when I was 10 or 11, I would feel like I'm in an elevator or, you know, uh, <laughs> listening to an old radio station. And I definitely did not understand that kind of music um, because it was not in my family. Like mm -hmm. people didn't, you know, like a lot of those famous jazz musicians nowadays, they have like jazz in their family, like since they're like seven. I, I know like all of my mentors talking about that. Oh, yeah, when I was young, like they were playing jazz and I was hearing it and blah, blah. And I'm like, I was I really never heard that kind of music until I was maybe 16. I mean, of course I heard it, you know, mm -hmm. like sometimes my parents did bring me to concerts or some, like expose me to stuff, but not really like regularly at home. So um, I yeah, I mean, the the way I started because my main like music education when I was a kid was in classical music, which is a kind of obvious because in Austria, that's what you're right. exposed to. Like that's what all of the, we have like a whole system, like a whole network of music schools, but it's all built upon like classical music education. And so I only got into like pop music with the violin actually when I was like 11 or 12, um, when one of the music teacher, the guitar teacher at the music school did like a pop concert and my violin teacher was like, maybe you should look into improvising a bit. So I played my first pop concert and that's how we actually started the band where I then played bass. Um, but yeah, um, so, and then when I actually got into playing bass, of course the first things I played were like more like rock, funk, pop, blues, kind of like, you know, typical things you play when you when you play bass right. and when you play in a band. And then I started playing with, um, through the high school I went to, I started playing on a funk band called Round Corners. And then with the guitarist, his name was Andy Erds, I started to uh, play in his guitar trio, which was like fusion. So we played music by... Scott Henderson, um, I don't know if, if you know those kind of names, Scott Henderson, Guthrie Govan, uh, sometimes like funkier stuff as well, like Lettuce or like, but it was all instrumental and it was more towards the like, I would say rock funk fusion, but all instrumental. So that was the first time I got into more like virtuos playing. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually like enjoyed it because it was still very closely connected to just like groovy like pop rock funk music right just without vocals right. um but then I, I i started also to kind of attend those workshops that we have yearly in austria um they have those like big band workshops in bad goesen and Zeil. it's like like also from the music schools uh from the music school network they have those workshops that they organize and um those were like very clear there was a lot of like funk and, and stuff but uh, they were like very clear, dedicated to jazz as the main focus um, and and big band playing and like ensemble playing, but in like a, you know, technical 
um, way and and all, and a virtuous kind of way and focusing on not not only like because when we hear jazz we often think about swing but that's like very rarely the case nowadays if you go mm -hmm. to jazz concerts that people really only play swing for the whole concert but um yeah that's where i got into jazz and then of course when i studied when i started studying you do play more jazz because the thing is that um the truth is we don't listen to jazz nowadays anymore people do not listen to that right. kind of music but the but actually fact is that uh, jazz is the foundation of this kind of music like we um there was like classical music and an african music and i mean that's like very very broken down because i know there's so many more components mm -hmm. to that but like in america basically yeah the the first thing that that started the whole like jazz thing for me is probably like ragtime and blues and then you know later we had like all of the swing era and bebop and like all of those uh yeah time periods and then like i guess like rock pop music really started with like things like the rolling stones or something and it's all coming from blues and from from jazz it's it's all kind of like connected because that was before like rock and pop was the thing it was the commercial music back then yeah. and um so yeah and then for example like fusion was just like a combination of jazz and rock and so yeah i guess that's why I think jazz is so important also when you study music. So for me, it was definitely like an important thing to look into the, those kind of styles and to be familiar with jazz. But then I really became like a, a fan and I enjoyed playing it and I enjoyed, and I enjoyed the challenge because I feel like that's a big thing about jazz. You always look for a challenge and how to expand your knowledge and how to expand your skills. Um, yeah. Well, I I would think with jazz too, it it would give you more room for improvisation as well, more freedom of expression than you know pop or rock, which is you know G C D or E A B or whatever, right? You got your three, four, five chords. Jazz mm -hmm. is so much more express expressive. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I that's that that's definitely a thing. Like if if you get to a if you get to a technical level um, or to like a, a skill set you have on your instrument, you want to like, you know, grow and you want to challenge yourself. And um, I think it is also a challenge to play very, very good pop music or rock music, even though it's maybe not like fast or something. Well, mm -hmm. it can be fast, but like, even though it's maybe not like technically as challenging, but I think it is technically challenging to play a tight pop groove on the bass. Yes. Um, and it's the same challenge as if I would try to play like a swing, I don't know, walking bass on 300 BPM. Um, but um, <laughs> definitely, um, I, I, I think that those challenges both have their, um, how do you say that word in English? Like, I both want to face though. I, I want to face both of those challenges. I kind of right. want to like, yeah, for me, for me, that's both very, uh, like both of those challenges are like very, very exciting. And, um, and I think you can learn from both for both. Like I can learn from jazz right. for pop music and the other way around as well, because I don't like pop musicians who play jazz 
or I don't like jazz musicians who try to play pop, but they actually don't know anything about it and the other way around. So, right. I mean, of course I appreciate everybody and I respect everybody who wants to try that out. But like generally, I think um, there should be more like a, of an all round idea of music and of like looking into different styles. Kira, you said you just made a comment about playing a run or a walking baseline at 300 BPM. Did they yeah. test you at Berkeley on doing that? Because I don't think I can do that. <laughs> That's uh, fast. <laughs> they don't test you. I mean, at Berkeley, there are like certain curriculum, like curricular like requirements that you have to fulfill. But playing swing on 300 BPM is definitely not part of that. <laughs> it's more something you would do among friends and be like, oh, can I actually do this? No. Uh, it gives me a challenge to work towards. Oh, my God. <laughs> I should work on that too. <laughs> well, do you ever like so do you ever like get in a mood like oh, I'm 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 kind of in a pop mood today or I'm in a jazz mood like does it do you, do you just kind of get in a certain mood for it to play? Oh my god, yes. You mean for listening or playing music? You know what either. I think yeah, that's funny cuz I think for me that's different. Like um uh for listening to music, I I'm not sure what exactly defines my mood, like what, why I'm in certain moods, but sometimes I just want to hear something like really simple and like driving, but sometimes I'm also really like in this analytic mode and I really want to hear some like complicated stuff, um, you know, and then I just, yeah, and, and it, it's, it's actually interesting because it doesn't even depend on the time of the day, like sometimes in the morning I'm like, oh, I don't know, I really want to listen to Chikoria or Emmanuel Wilkins or something and I put it on in a train to work and uh, I really, really enjoy myself. But then other days in the morning, I just want to hear like Ariana Grande or I don't know, Pentatonics <laughs> Taylor, or something. Taylor Swift. Yeah, no. why not? Actually, I haven't listened to Taylor Swift so much, but for example, I went to the Ed Sheeran concert, like I'm a super secret fan of, of his because I think he writes amazing songs. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, yeah, I commit to, to both. Like I really love both things. And, but also what I found out is that listening is definitely a routine. So of course, if you play somebody jazz the first time, they'll be like, what is this? But I think that, um, even I noticed that I can, if I listen to a certain style of music more or yeah, I'll get more familiar with it. And I'll also want to listen to it more because I on, I'm starting, I start to understand more parts of it. And I want to like kind of get the hang of it more. And for playing, I guess it depends what I'm working on. Well, it also depends. Am I in a practicing mode or am I just in like a playing mode? Right. If I'm just in like a playing mode, I just play whatever I hear. And if I'm in a practicing mode, it's just like, um, then I really have like a routine and I'm like, okay, I want to work on this more right now. And, you know, I really schedule my, my practice time as well. Um, you had a really interesting quote on your website that I kind of want to talk to you about. You say, I can't read music in the visual sense. So I absorb the music directly and imprint it within. So that kind of takes me back to, I, I'm really curious about, you know, when you were taking lessons, um, and when, you know, when you were in those early years, when you were sort of first mm -hmm. um, learning everything, obviously you couldn't read the music. So they were using, I'm assuming, like the Suzuki method or, or you know, ear training or however, however it worked. What was that 
like for you? And I, I mean, I guess what did, did, did any of the um, private instructors, like were there any um, accessibility issues or were they ever concerned with that? Or was it a, a pretty simple process to just sit you down with something and let you go? I guess uh, it depends on the instructor in that case. I would say like generally the better the instructor is the less problem it is like because i feel like and 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 also the better of a musician the instructor is because i think that if like if you have a like if you have a good um musician as a teacher they will know that you can learn everything by ear because they also have good ears and they're a good musician and they will understand that so like that's the first thing that I, I feel like is important to know. And also my parents, like when they looked for a teacher for me, they would literally call like the whole country if they could. So like for my violin lessons, we commuted like 45 minutes every week, uh, which in Austria is far because the next music school is five minutes by car, no matter where you live, maybe 10. Right. But for my parents, it was not about being close. It was about having the quality, because if you have an educator who works with a blind student, you want them to actually be ambitious and be qualified and not qualified to work with a blind person, but actually more qualified for their job. Because if they're qualified for the job as an educator, then it means that they're able to work with a blind person. And the way I did it um, was basically call and response, like, the Suzuki method is also kind of built on call and response because it's like learning your music like a mother language, right? So basically you hear it and then you play it. So yeah, my teachers would always play me phrases and I would repeat those phrases and we would do that until I was like, we would start with like a short phrase and then maybe like add a second phrase to it and then practice the first and second phrase and so on. So basically just learning by hearing the notes and then memorizing like that um <clears throat> and uh it's interesting because every teacher had like different ways of, of of teaching me like the things by ear and some teachers would understand better how much i could take in in one go than others that was kind of interesting like how much like how long the phrase could be that they would play me like how much i could actually hear and how much i could take in and of course that varies like that varied from like my also musical um, experience or like skill set, like and how old I was. And also the older I got, the better I got um, in like expressing what I needed, like, oh, play me this or play me this, like with the right rhythm or because sometimes teachers would also like they would play only the notes without the rhythm because they would think I would want to hear it slower. But then for me, for example, it's really important to hear something in the rhythm so I can actually understand how the melody works because like hearing the notes of the melody is fine, but like without the rhythm, it won't sound like the melody sounds like um, those kind of things. And then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's really different also from, from instrument to instrument, depending on what I'm, what I'm learning. Because for example, violin, the teacher would sometimes tell me like, oh third finger on the a string second finger on the g string and so on like tell me the fingerings um and also in in, in the piano lessons he would sometimes record me 
like the right hand, the left hand, then both hands together. And then if there was like passages where the fingering wasn't very clear, he would like record, uh, yeah, he would record like the passages slow, but tell me the fingers he was using. And uh, yeah, recording devices were definitely a big thing. And also for my blind friends who were in music school, I guess that was always a big thing, like recording. I did learn braille notation. Actually, my violin teacher, she uh, went to the school for the blind in Vienna um, to learn braille music um, in order to teach it to me. Um, so I do know how to read braille music, but I never used it really i mean except for my theory exams and then later at berkeley for some ear training classes uh but i think it was important for me to learn especially because i made music i did music as my career and i think it's important to know how to read music yeah, yeah and that was going to be my next question is did you use music braille or the limelighter technology to to go and get your masters or how do you how do you learn music now? If somebody says, Kira, we're going on tour next yeah. month. Here's, you know, 25 songs you need to learn. What, what is that process like now? Is there technology involved? Um, so I did learn Braille music, as I said, but I don't use it at all anymore. I mean, I think it's just important to know it because I think it's also like a different channel to absorb music through reading. And I think even reading Braille is more similar to reading like visually mm -hmm. than hearing it and learning it. So I think it was important to understand this kind of structured uh, intake of um, notes, you know. Um, so, yeah, so the technology, well, I still try to go mainly f from the recordings if I can. And also nowadays with the technology that people uh, people have, it's way easier to get to recordings or at least mm -hmm. demo tracks of the songs that people um, write because everybody has to record demos anyways. Uh, but I do use Sibelius as well. Right. Um, I was actually part of the testing team uh, or I am still part of the testing team actually. And I, yeah, I'm really, really enjoying to use that. I actually just found out that MuseScore apparently is accessible since some time, like since a few months, but I haven't really spent time on it yet. Um, but definitely I, I use Sibelius and if somebody doesn't have a recording and no demo, I ask them to send me like the Sibelius file or if they use another notation software, they can like export it as a music XML file. And so then I can read the chart. And the only thing that I really find annoying is that like, it's not gonna be very like learning in real time because uh, for example, if I go into Sibelius chart and I play um, the song, um, a lot of times you'll have like a chord chart, you know, where you only have the chords written. So there's, the software doesn't tell me the chords. So right. uh, they, I can actually only play it if, uh, if, if, if there's a written out baseline. And if there are the chords, I will have to actually like scroll through the whole chart with the, the keyboard, like the, the keys, like the tab key, and let the computer read the chords because there is no braille translation for Sibelius yet. Um, so I'll kind of have to like read it and then play it, which is kind of 
weird because it's like it takes way way longer than just listening to it so sometimes because it's even faster to do that than like reading it a hundred like letting the computer read it a hundred times sometimes i would even like write the root notes in the sibelius file that i got like where the chords are just like write the root notes so i can hear them and then i'll just play it in real time and listen to it because it'll sound way more like it'll make way more sense to just hear it a lot of times or actually always right so okay well now we we now we have to start to talk about the album yes so where to start okay well let's you know what let's start with the name tell us a little bit about the name and why you chose it blind so what um well i guess um blind so what has been kind of the the slogan that has always been part of me um because i always believed i could do anything and no matter you know if i'm blind or whatever or not or disabled or not or um and my my parents always gave us that like they always taught us to have that attitude and because they're both like very positive people themselves and actually it's kind of funny my my dad uh was definitely like the inspiration for or my mom and dad were the inspiration for that name because um we always like filmed everything as children like, like they filmed everything when when i was young what my brothers and i were up to like sometimes they would just have the camera on while we were like playing in the backyard or while we were practicing our instruments or something um and my dad always made fun of us and said oh maybe one day he's gonna make a movie and call it Blind, <laughs> which means blind so what in in german and then um, what happened was I was like into all those YouTubers and stuff like that, like a little bit before the pandemic already. Um, and I was like, man, if I actually created my own YouTube channel, you know, it would be so cool uh, because I feel like people would really love that kind of content. And I think the world needs that kind of content. But then I didn't really have the resources because I would need somebody who would like help me with the camera work and stuff. <laughs> So I decided to to do this podcast that I, I also call Blind So What, um, where I just talk about like life as a blind person and how you manage to go shopping and to cook and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, and then I guess the name was was born like through 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 that podcast and the idea for the movie and um, so that like slogan Blind So What has been kind of like yeah with me all that time. And um, for me, there wasn't even a question what the name of the album will be. Um, and yeah, I guess I even if I do a workshop or something or a masterclass somewhere else, like for example in Chile and Panama, I did some workshops. I I called it I called it blind so I called them blind so what. So I think it's like a an all rounder name, and it's it's not only like for the album, but for a lot of things that I can do in my life and that I will do in my life. When you're doing something like producing your album and you're, you know, you're sort of beginning your career as a, as a performer, there's a little bit of back end stuff. Like, you know, you, you're, you're marketing yourself, you're building a brand for yourself um, as, as a performer and as a musician. So in your mind, sort of how did your identity as as a musician that is blind, how did that kind of impact you building out that brand? A lot. Um, one of the, the, the big reasons I, I did 
like record this album um, was that I for years like of being like a bass player and a, a side woman I I have been planning to do my own project um, but it just kind of started to take shape when I when I studied at Berkeley and it, I did my masters there um, I guess what always uh, struck me was that like as a blind musician um like especially in the professional musician's life um it's definitely harder to get called because people don't really understand that you don't have any limits as a blind person especially in music like the people don't understand that music is the place where we don't have any limitations uh and I, I don't even want to call it limitations because I don't feel like a blind person has limitations, but like, especially in music, like we are equal or even more, you know, to sighted people. Um, and so for me, it was always like weird that still, if I'm doing music, which is actually such a, uh, you know, a, f a fair, um, field for us, uh, why am I still like facing those, you know, stereotypes and those like kind of like discriminatory behaviors um, from people? Um, so, yeah, I guess, I mean, it definitely was not the reason why I wrote the album, but it was definitely one of the inspirations to like create more like awareness right. in the field of like musicians and um generally like generally in the whole world like for me uh the only way that we can actually like fight for inclusion i think is uh to create more awareness in the whole society because i mean of course definitely like there has to be so many things there done like uh in terms of like technology and accessibility but I think the main focus uh, that has definitely been left out a lot of times is the whole society. And yeah. I mean, that starts like in a very, very young like age already, like in education, there, there can be so many things done. Um, well, I'm kind of drifting off a little bit, but basically like um, I kind of saw myself responsible then of like, also like adding my part to the the puzzle in terms of like inclusion and um i feel like um people always like told me oh kira you should really do your own thing uh because uh people when they heard me play and perform uh like especially as as a bass player they always uh for some reason had this like wow effect and um and i i guess it's it's definitely you know multiple different components playing to the game um because like there is a female bass player which is already pretty unique i mean there are not so many and then with the six string bass you know um but then she's blind and she's not like looking at anybody like I, when I play I just like look straight because I don't have to look at the bass I don't have to look at the people so the people also often don't know that I'm blind in the first place and then they're like confused but at some point they realize and they're like oh my god this is crazy so 
uh, I definitely like besides the album started to create a brand by like the moment I started to play music and the moment I started to put myself out there. So I was actually always really lucky that I didn't have to worry about branding um, right. specifically because it happened automatically, even though I do care. And I mean, the reason I care is like, I mean, that's the reason why I um, like why I started things like the podcast or why I wanted to start a YouTube channel because I am thinking in a business way and I know that it has like a lot of potential. Right. Um, but well, it, it, it does happen automatically to a certain extent, which is like a big advantage. And then, um, yeah, and then that kind of um, helped me to like all of those things combined, like kind of helped me to find also the concept for the album. And then of course, uh, in, in the, in the last instance, going to study at, at Berkeley. Um, the reason why I actually went to study at Berkeley is that they have a, um, a music technology course called assistive music technology and, uh, Chigo Kim teaches it and like, and I mean, according to my knowledge until now, it's like the only place where you can really in like a college course, learn all of this music technology, like Pro Tools, Logic, Sibelius, like where you ha have a teacher in front of you who has like all of this, like resources and material and teaches you those things. And for me, like coming from Austria, where technology is definitely like, yeah, there's definitely a lot of stuff where, um, people are behind in terms of technology and accessibility. So that for me, reading about that course was like the reason why I decided to go to Berkeley. But then I heard about the master's program that I did at the Berkeley Global Jazz Institute, which is basically about musically uh, music and social change. Um, and you do, it's like a performance pro uh, masters and you do like a, you, you do a project in the end of the, in the pro in the end of the program. It's it's a, a master's program that takes a year, and it's uh, it's fully paid, and they take twenty people uh, per year. So and you have like four ensembles in each, like the, those twenty people are divided into four ensembles, and in the project that you you do in the end, you have to write music and also um, do research about a topic, and so and and they want you to be very like close and kind of yeah close to the topic in whatever way like you can be related to the topic or just i mean of course like then people also take topics that they're just really interested in but definitely most of the best final projects in that program for me were like the people who really you know were kind of connected to the project in some ways like for example um one of my friends did uh like a project about uh, social media affecting people's eating disorders and she had an eating disorder herself and you could really see like the deep connection to that so for me it was like 100 percent clear from the beginning that i want to do something with blindness and also like for me like that was i guess the the project or uh, was one of the main like reasons why i wanted to do the program because the program is not like a typical performance program but it's a program that really like sees you as a whole person like the musician, but also the person, right? And yeah, so um, there, I guess, through all of the mentoring uh, with all of the, those, like you study with like a lot of great jazz artists, like Danilo Paris is the director of the Institute. And then 
you have weekly visiting artists like Joe Lovano and John Palitucci and yeah, all kinds of amazing, incredible people. And through all the mentors I had there, I really like shaped my whole idea because I knew I wanted to do something and I knew I wanted to, I knew I had this kind of branding, but I didn't really know how could I actually combine it with being like a musician and a bass player, right? Because it's hard to like find a way to just because for me, like being a musician wasn't connected to being blind necessarily. Like right. I was just a musician. Why should right. that be connected? Like, so yeah. I tried to, I had um, actually Danilo Perez, the artistic director gave me this like really great input of, um, because he was like very fascinated by how I do things, especially by like how I memorize music. And he gave me like this really great inspiration, inspirational idea of, uh, uh, connecting like things in my life with music where I understand that, but I, I never thought about it like, um, exactly like particularly in terms of blindness. And it was really interesting to like, for example, think about when I memorize where I walk, like, you know, the way to the train station or something, if that's uh, connected to when I memorize music. And so I I was like inspired and encouraged to find those parallels between like my life as a blind musician and my life as a blind person and then like put that into the project. And most of the songs on the album are actually, yeah, about those, about that. Um, so yeah, like the final project was like about four songs or five songs, I think. And then from that, um, I... I went on and, and finished the whole album after I finished the masters. You know, I love that. I love that about the album. And it, this is exactly what we need to, to spread into the mainstream is yeah. education about what the lived experience of, of being blind is like. I suspect you have many more albums uh, in you. Uh, oh, yeah. And speaking of that, then what's next? Like, what are you, what are you kind of working on now? Do you, do you have an idea around uh, the next album or what's going on? So I am writing a lot of tunes. Um, like musically, there is not really a limit of like, I don't have enough material or something. The thing is that um, now, because I had this really great concept, I, I am actually kind of, also challenging myself and looking for something new that can be interesting because I definitely I like just composing music without thinking about it and just you know writing whatever I hear but also I do like to compose with a certain uh, cause and that's I guess what I also learned at the Berkeley Global Jazz Institute a lot that we can like music can affect people like so so much um in a like in a way like music is responsible for our mental health and uh and and i think that is like really really important and so i feel like if i want to put myself out there i really want to do that with like an intention um but also like I mean, why not just record, you know, like just some YouTube videos or whatever, like and record an EP with some tunes I wrote. I mean, I'm totally open to doing that as well, but I'm definitely thinking of like a new concept um, for, you know, an album again. And uh, one of them was actually to 
um, I don't know, I, I'm sure you guys also have some input on that. It would be interesting to talk about it too. But I was thinking of like looking at how blindness is accepted in like different cultures mm -hmm. and places and then uh, collaborating with musicians who play like maybe even blind musicians, but it might be hard to find enough of them but to kind of play, not play the music from that country, but to kind of be inspired by yeah. the music from that culture or country and, and also kind of uh, combine that with like uh, how, because I think like the acceptance of blindness and the way people deal with blindness is so different in like everywhere, like even yeah. coming from the US, from Europe, it's so different, right? Totally. So something like that is kind of like, yeah, my idea, but they could go many ways and, and I'm open to other things as well. But yeah, I'm thinking about it. Well, I am smelling a Ryan and Kira um, <laughs> break out your bass guitars. Oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, I don't know. I'll have to start lessons with Kira. Listen, have, you listen to Ryan? have you listened to her album? <laughs> <laughs> We'll get. Don't worry, Ryan. We'll get you up to 300 BPM. Ah, I don't well, think I can play 300. I can play 300 BPM. It's just going to be sloppy. <laughs> 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 so I had one more question for you, Kira. So, sure, are you the lady with the green cane? Do you have a green mm. cane? No. No. <laughs> no, my cane is pretty white. Ah, okay. So, where did the title for that song come from? Um, it's a poem by Fran Gardner that I found online because uh, I had like, we had a studio session where we recorded five of the tunes. And so I was like, oh, actually, you know, it would be nice to record three tunes per day because we had like two days. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, why don't we just try something out and improvise over a poem? Um, because I really looked into like free, free jazz. I don't want to call it free jazz, but like free music. Right. Um, during my times at, at Berkeley as well, and I'd never kind of played that stuff before, but um, yeah, like improvised music. And so I, I looked up this, I, I looked up a bunch of poems about disability and I actually didn't find that many, but then I found this by Frank Gardner and also I talked to her if I could use it and she was really nice. And she had actually had somebody else with a disability using that poem to write a song. So hmm. that's kind of interesting. Nice. Yeah. but. Basically, that's um, what happened. It's just like an improvisation. I, I have an idea for your next album, but it's it's an idea that I'll, I'm probably the only person who wants it, so I'll email you <laughs> off. Uh, you want me to play on 300 BPM for the whole? No, no. <laughs> well, no. Well, I'll just you know, I'll quickly mention it. So the one song that stood out to me on the album was Humanity, mm -hmm. and there was a section in Humanity that is very ambient. It was you on bass, very light percussion on the drums and very soft kind of light i think it was acoustic guitar it might have been electric guitar but it was very very gentle guitar and it was just mm -hmm. the three of the three piece happening and the the reverb the the ambience of that song of, of that section anyway really stood out to me and i thought you know this would make a really great you know three or four piece instrumental album if it was just ambient music like that background sorry elevator music type but it was very nice that's so interesting because i was actually um thinking of holding the instrumentation of the next album like a little bit uh smaller 
and maybe even working in some duo or trio settings. Right. Um, just because there's more freedom. And with this music uh, that I wrote for the first album, I was definitely because I started writing it like a few years ago. And I was also into different like music back then, you know, Okay. Uh, like very like busy, like this band called Dirty Loops or Snarky Puppy. Right. Um, but like now I definitely listen to like also more like experimental and like not f only free, but like more like <laughs> like not like free jazz, but like I would say music that goes to places. Um, right. And and I feel like you can you can do that in a big setting, but it's uh, like in a like a broad instrumentation, but it's way easier to do that if if you're like less people and because you have yeah more almost freedom. like a almost like a jazz like lounge dinner club type atmosphere mm -hmm. right three or four yeah. four piece yeah so that's that's the song that stood out to me so nice. I look forward to more of that I'm glad thank you the name of the album is blind so what uh, the name of the podcast is blind so what um i'm sure people can find them on spotify i i know for a fact yes. they can because that's we how did. i found them yeah. um where else can they find them uh where else can they find information about you anything at all that you would like to plug go ahead yes so uh so my website is www.kira-moser.com and kira is spelled like sierra c-i-a-r-a dash and then moser m-o-s-e-r dot um, com so there you can find like i would say like all the information uh you know in in a box and uh for the album it's available on every streaming platform that you can imagine like deezer spotify tidal apple music um, amazon so whatever you guys are using you can just uh type the name of the album and you'll find it um, and also, um, the podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Music. So if you have one of those, you can check that out. I do have CDs of the album, but I only sell them at the concerts um, because sending them out would be a little bit much of a log logistic um, issue. And yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram. My Instagram is just Moser Kira written together. So M-O-S-E-R-C-I-A-R-A. -E well, thank you again so much for coming out and talking with us. Uh, please come back anytime. We'd love to have you because I don't know. I didn't even I didn't even get through half of my questions. So, <laughs> I'm down to come back anytime. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Best of luck, Kira. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, Thanks, Kira. We appreciate yeah. it. Have a great rest of your night. You too. And Thanks. we'll stay in touch for sure. Take Thanks, care. Kira. Bye. Bye. She's way too cool for us. And there's still so much, like, you know, depending on how geeky we wanted to get, right? We could have talked about, you know, the basses and why she chooses oh, what she plays. And, you know, we didn't talk about the music label stuff. And That was great. Yeah. That was great. Was such, a, such a cool. Very easy going. Yeah. Well, next album, we'll have her back, and we'll go through it track by track with her, live on the air. I don't know, man. I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should have her back and think up uh, album concepts for her. Yeah. <laughs> just 45 minutes of just us coming up with really bad yep. album concepts. Sounds like a plan. Yeah.
I see. I always thought I always thought the bass was like a very underrated. I always felt bad for bass players and the bass guitar in general because I just feel like well, they, they never, never get they never get the stardom, right? The lead guitar yeah, player exactly. is running guitar solos up and down. The drummer's doing his little solo thing. Yeah. You know, rhythm guitar is holding his ground. You know, unless you're, you know, Flea or Floyd, you know, and you've got these outstanding bass lines and, and techniques that, you know, are really standout-ish that people recognize, then yeah, you don't, like, like name me the bass player for yeah. Leonard Skinner. Yeah, no, exactly. Nobody can't do it. I can't you name, I'm, you, know, you can barely name a bass player <laughs> at all for anybody. And That's if you right. can, it's just... Like you mentioned, Flea. I thought Flea was the guitar player. I didn't even realize he's the bass player. Right. I don't Red Hot Chili Peppers is my deal, but yeah. But no, it's it's true. So that's I think that's what we need to start advocating for. Maybe we should make bass. a podcast about bass guitars. Okay. Maybe that's what that's you know what that's our team up project with Kira. We start a a bass guitar a bass podcast. Yeah, bass guitar, bass podcast. guitar podcast. I wonder if that's out Where there. Where do you start? How do you pick a? How and do you pick niche, your bass? Yeah. Pick your first bass. Exactly. I didn't even know that there were bass guitars with six strings. Oh yeah, I've got a four string, a yeah, five string. There's six string, eight strings. Oh hmm. yeah, it's nuts out there. Yeah. Active so, active bases, passive bases. Like that's what Absolutely. we need to do. We need to, we need to write a write an entire album about the lived experience of a bass player. <laughs> Now it's unsung hero. That's that's our new concept album. We'll work on that. Let's workshop that, and we'll send it over to Kira. And uh, who knows? Maybe Alrighty. this time next year we'll all have an album. I don't know what I would contribute of it. I'll design the the album. Cover. You can do the mixing. Sure, I'll do the mix. You can be the engineer. Okay, yeah, I can do that. Cool. All right. Well, listen, that ran late, so let's get the hell out of here. Yep. Let's go have dinner. Uh, hey, Ryan, because you're the only yeah. here. <laughs> Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at uh, cowbell at atbanter.com. We didn't even explain the cowbell to Kira. I feel like that must have puzzled her too. She's like, why are they hitting a cowbell? <laughs> People Didn't probably still wonder why we hit a cowbell. Probably. This just shows you how much of a professional she is. Cause she didn't even like, didn't even, didn't even didn't phase her. No, nope. nope. just consummate professional. Just came on, did the show. Yep. Just didn't like on to the next gig. The weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so where right. else can people right. find us? Uh, the yeah, so Facebook and uh, X and oh man, that's the first week I think I got X instead of Twitter. <laughs> got it right finally. Wow, Elon, your your strategy has worked. Eight months after uh, you made the change, uh, and they can also find us on um, Mastodon. And we're still not paying for X. No, we're not paying for X. Not I would never subscribe to X. No. Nope. I don't know why people do. Makes no sense no, to me. I, it doesn't. I didn't mean either. Craziness. It is. All right. All right. Go play more bass. Right. <laughs> That's right. And go hug a bass player. That is your job, dear audience. Uh, give give the bass players of the world some love. And check out Kira's album on Spotify. Blind. So what? I love it.
All right, that is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Kira for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 